Let's bow for a word of prayer before we read Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. Father, we thank you for this catechism which systemizes the Christian faith for us in a very succinct way. I thank you for its precision, O Lord. I thank you for its faithfulness to the teaching of Holy Scripture. Do help us to understand these great doctrines, especially now this doctrine of the Incarnation. Father, help us to understand that Christ was the eternal Son of God come in the flesh and how this was brought about and I think even more importantly or just as important why this was done. Help us to understand Christ and how it is that we are saved through faith in Him. In His name we pray. Amen. The scripture reading is Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. For it was fitting that He, that is Christ, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Uh, The He there is a reference to God, excuse me. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons of glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing of your praise. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power, the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he, the Christ, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. Again, remember what our catechism is doing here. It is building upon this question, did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? We heard so much bad news, and then good news was delivered. No, God did not leave mankind to perish, but has determined to provide a Redeemer, a Savior for us, through whom we might have the hope of life everlasting. Good news was inserted into our catechism. Um, A Redeemer has been provided, and, and now we are building upon that question, and we are asking who this Redeemer is. Who is this Redeemer? Uh, He was identified for us in the previous question and in the previous sermon. His name is Jesus the Christ. And what is He? Who is He? He is the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. So there the doctrine of the Incarnation was introduced to us. It is a very mysterious doctrine, this idea that that God has took on humanity, that God has become man. Um, And Now in question 5, we are building upon this further. We're learning more and more about this Redeemer of God's elect. Who is He? What is He like? Here we are asking, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? How, How did this work? How did the eternal Son of God become incarnate? Now, obviously... Uh, There is much that is mysterious here in terms of how this was accomplished and how this worked. But we may say some things for certain, uh, for the scriptures uh, reveal them. 
Again, the answer, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. The word Christ is important. Some do think it is the last name of Jesus. We call him Jesus Christ. It is not. It is Jesus' title. Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ. This means that he was the anointed one of God. In other words, this was the Messiah, the one that was promised for, from long ago. You'll notice when I speak of Christ, I will sometimes refer to him as Jesus the Christ. I insert that word the there in order to emphasize that this is what he was. He was the Messiah, uh, the promised one, the holy one, anointed one that emerged from Israel in the fullness of time. Christ, the Son of God. So, who is Christ? That is the question our catechism is answering. Who is He? Well, we must confess that He is the Son of God. That is to say, the second person of the Holy Trinity. We know that there is one God only, and that God is one, that He is simple. That does not mean He is easy to understand, but He is not composed of parts. Yet, at the same time, we know that within this one God, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are all fully God, and they are so eternally and unchangeably. All of this has been established before in our study of the Catechism and of the Christian faith. It is the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. So within the one God, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are saying that it was the Son of God, the Son of God who became man. It was the Son of God who became man. And this is who Christ was, the eternal Son of God, come in the flesh. I told you this was a mysterious doctrine. Um, I'm not trying to pretend that it's not mysterious, but there are things that we could say for certain because the Scriptures uh, reveal them. Have you ever wondered this? Where did Christ's person come from? Where did His um, personality, if I may speak in that way, come from? I, I think we, we want to say that it came from His divine nature, so that truly God was with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense, what I'm saying to you right now? Uh, these are complicated things, because we're talking about what makes up a person. Um, well, what makes up a person? Let, let's talk about that. Human beings are made up of body and soul, are they not? And we do have a, a personality to us, right? And here I am saying that Christ's person was derived from His divine nature. He was the eternal Son of God, and He came in the flesh. He was the eternal Word of God, if you prefer that term, and He came in the flesh. He became man. He became man. Last Sunday in the afternoon, I did clarify that when we say that the eternal Son of God became man, this does not mean that there was change within God. Uh, the Son of God was not changed into something new. God cannot change, but He took to Himself something. And our catechism is right to say that He took to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul. So there you hear mention of these two parts of man. When we say that the eternal Son of God became man, we mean that He was really and truly and fully man. Um, in other words... He did not just appear to have a body. He really had a body. He really had flesh and blood. If you know 
about the history of the church and some of the theological errors that have existed in the history of the church, you'll know that this was an error that existed early in, in church history. Some claimed that Christ... He looked as if he was a man, but he was not really. He looked as if he had a real body, but it was a kind of illusion. He was not really physical. Uh, The Gnostics would have taught this because they had this idea that anything physical was inherently evil. Like you could not be physical and not evil. And that was an error present in the early church. Uh, But we must refute that. No, we, we say that Christ took to himself a true body. A real body. He ate and he drank. He slept. He, he grew from being little to big. He even grew in it as it pertained to his intellectual capabilities. He experienced um, everything that we experience in the body. He, he knew what it was to feel pain. And when he bled on the cross, he really bled. And when he stopped breathing, he really stopped breathing. And he went into the grave, you see. He took to himself a true body. He also took to himself... A reasonable soul, a real and a true and a human soul. We have reasonable souls. They are are reasonable souls so that we are not like the animals, right? We have this ability to reason. We have a physical part of us and an immaterial part of us. And we are saying that Christ took to himself also a, a real and a true and a reasonable human soul. So that he experienced not only physical pain, physical thirst, physical hunger, but also he experienced the same kinds of emotions that you and I experience. Um, He knew what it was to feel sorrow. Do you know that Jesus wept when his friend died? He did not only weep with his physical eyes, and, and he did not only discharge tears from those physical eyes, but he wept in the soul. He wept in the soul. He knew what it was to feel a sense of uh, trepidation. Father, um, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not not my will, but your will be done. So there was trepidation there. There was a sense of fear in the Garden of Gethsemane, was there not? That's a human emotion that we feel in our souls, and Christ experienced it. He was tempted as we are in every respect, yet without sin. So... He had all of these faculties in his humanity that we have, in other words. He had a body, physical body. He had a true and reasonable soul also. And within the soul there are these faculties. Christ had a mind. The scriptures even tell us that he grew in his understanding from childhood to adulthood. He he took that upon himself. The eternal Son of God did. In order to be truly human, he grew in his understanding of things and displayed great learning even as a very young man. It's incredible to consider. He made real decisions. He exercised his will and he did perfectly submit his will to the Father. I've already pointed this out. He also experienced true emotions or true affections. Um, You know, I hope things are clicking for you right now. Um, And I hope you're able to make the connection between what we have learned about Adam's sin and its effects upon all of humanity. I I hope you're able to make the connection between Adam's sin and the effects that it has had upon man and and all of the parts of man, body and soul, and all of our faculties. Um, Remember, the wages of sin is death. We, we, We suffer physically. We die physically because of sin. And this sin of Adam, which is our sin, um, it also has an impact upon 
our souls, does it not? It has an impact upon our, our faculties. It has an impact upon our minds, our hearts, our, our, our wills. Um, that is important to remember. Because when we talk about the Christ, the Messiah, we, we want to see that he, he took all of this upon himself so that he might redeem all of this. Do you, do you see the connection here? I, I think this great and mysterious doctrine of the incarnation um, is to be understood for many reasons, but one of them being so that we might understand the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. Christ took these things upon Himself so as to redeem all of these things, to redeem us as whole persons, body and soul. He had to be obedient to the Father in the whole of life, body and soul, so that He might redeem us, body and soul. So Christ, the Son of God, became man, not by ceasing to be what He always was, not by experiencing change within the divine nature, but He became man by taking to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul. Both things are very important. And how did this work? He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her. So here we are talking about that miraculous and immaculate conception. Here we are talking about the virgin birth. Such an important doctrine. Uh, Because here is the question that should be on your mind. If it is true that Adam sinned, and that all sin in him, and that this sin is passed down from Adam to all human beings through ordinary generation, are you with me? We've learned this then the question must be asked, how then is it that Christ was without sin? How did did Jesus the Christ escape this corruption that we have all inherited from our first father, Adam? How did he escape it? So as to be without sin really and truly, so as to be able to obey God perfectly, so as to be able to atone for the sins of others. How did he escape it? The doctrine of the virgin birth is of great importance because not only does it show that this was someone unique, the eternal Son of God come in the flesh, but it's important to our salvation as well. For if Christ was born in sin, that He could not die for the sins of others, He would have had to have died like you and I do for our own, for His own sins. But He was conceived in a miraculous way. He was not conceived by the coming together of of Joseph and Mary, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God worked something miraculous in the womb of the Virgin Mary so that He was born of her. He was born of her. He was truly human, body and soul. But He was conceived not by Joseph, the son of Adam, going way back in the genealogy, of course, But he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why we can conclude our catechism question with these three words, yet without sin. Truly man, truly God, truly man, united together in one person, yet without sin. And that is because of the virgin birth. Um, Brothers and sisters, we must understand who Christ is. And here I am wanting you to see that there is a very tight connection between who Christ is and what it is that He came to accomplish our salvation. 
He has saved us, brothers and sisters, body and soul. Do not forget that. So often when we think of our salvation, we think of a soulish kind of salvation, a spiritual salvation. And it is that. He has paid for our sins. He has washed uh, those away. He has given us a new heart, a new mind, a new will, a new, new, new affections. Thanks be to God for that spiritual and soulish salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. But He has also saved us bodily. On the last day, when Christ returns with the sound of a trumpet, there are going to be a, a lot of things that happen on that day. A lot of things that happen, including the final judgment. But one of the things that will happen is the resurrection of the dead, bodily. The dead in Christ will rise first, will rise first. And those who remain will be caught up with the Lord in the air bodily. The new heavens and new earth will not just be a spiritual and ethereal place. It will be a physical place, a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And there we will dwell for all eternity as whole persons, body and soul. Think of that. It's marvelous to consider. Without pain, without suffering, without the fear of physical death, there we will dwell for all eternity, perfectly renewed through Christ Jesus and the work He has accomplished as whole persons, body and soul. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we thank You for Christ. We thank You for how He suffered for us, for how He humbled Himself and willingly took on uh, a true body and reasonable soul. We know that He suffered greatly in the whole of life. He especially suffered on the cross for us to atone for our sins. How marvelous is this plan of salvation of Yours. Indeed, uh, it's hard for us to understand how it could be any other way. For man to be re- redeemed, man had to pay for sin. But to man pay for, for man to pay for sin, you, O oh God, had to uphold him. And we thank you that you have done that very thing in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for our salvation that is ours in him and the hope of life everlasting. In his name we pray. Amen.